Hi, Future Kenny here with a plug we forgot to put into this episode. Heather has started up a new podcast called Hauntings and Homicide about real-life crimes that involve a paranormal element. So if that sounds cool to you, check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. All right, enjoy today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about It Follows from 2014. Um, sorry, by the way, for the poor audio quality on our last episode. Mm. We had some technical difficulty, so there was an annoying buzz on it. Is that um, when I was speaking into the, the, the wrong end of the microphone? Someone, <laughs> someone who will be unidentified here... May have had her microphone Look, turned around the wrong way. I've never had a microphone, so cut me some slack. But we're back to the old microphone setup this time. Well, and... just this time, because you're here. Right, and next time everything will be turned in the correct direction, <laughs> and hopefully there hopefully. won't be a weird buzzing noise. Uh, but for this time, you are in for a special treat, which is probably me coughing, unless I can edit it out. Um, I'm I'm kind of sick, and maybe you can hear that in my voice. So I think only if you know you really well. I can tell you're sick, but you don't really sound sick. Yeah. So um, every episode is its own little adventure. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. That. So it follows was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. It debuted at Cannes in 2014 before receiving a wide release in 2015, which was when I saw it. I saw it in the theater. It, this is actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, Heather, this was the movie that gave me the idea for the podcast. Really? Mm-hmm. So you've had, you had that idea back in 2014? 2015. 2015. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went and saw this with a friend, and we came out, and we just kind of sat around talking about it for like an hour or more, because mm-hmm. there's just it's such an interesting movie, and and it just sparked so many ideas, and that you know made me think, hey, what about a podcast where we do this? Mm-hmm. So that's how long this idea, the idea for this uh, podcast has been kicking around in my brain. Well, you know, we've been doing this for like a year now. Did yeah. you know that? Did you notice? Has it been a full year? I think so. Okay. Um, that's neat. Yeah. Happy birthday. It must have started when I was down here. For the 
listeners, uh, Heather and I don't live in the same part of the country, but uh, I come down to visit state, family but... every once in a while. So when I'm down here, we can record in the same room. The rest of the time, we're recording over Skype. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it must have been either it must have been maybe was it spring break or something no. like that or or the beginning of summer maybe. It was, I know it was during the summer, so it's a year-ish. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so the film Uh stars Micah Monroe, and it features a musical score written by Richard Vreeland, a.k.a. Disasterpiece. He's a composer who... That's a really dope name. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's Disasterpiece, but... Like P E A C E, like peace, like war and peace, like. Oh, cool! It's like a double play on words. Yeah, it's like coming yeah. at you from all sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's mostly before this was known for his work on video game soundtracks. Mm. He did the score for the indie hit Fez, and that's what uh, David Robert Mitchell saw from him or heard from him and liked it and asked him to do the score for the film. And you can kind of hear like it, the score has a sort of uh, very synthy, sometimes like a, a chiptune sound to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kenny's obsessed with this score, by the way. I love the score. He's just like nerding the fuck out over this score. Yeah, I when I saw this movie... Uh, I think like the next week I went and bought the score on, on iTunes and. And when do you listen to that? Oh, when like, I'm in my car sometimes or. That's. Whenever. Wild to me. The listeners will have heard a little bit of it at the beginning of this episode, and then I'll do I'll play some as the outro music. Okay. Um, it's just it's it's a really awesome score, but I guess we'll talk about that a little later. Um, let's start off with the plot summary. So, spoiler alert uh, for people who want to go watch the movie. You can do that now. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> so, what happens in the movie? A young woman flees an unseen force onto a beach where she says goodbye to her father over the phone. A jump cut shows us her grisly remains, presumably as a result of whatever was chasing her catching up to her. Elsewhere, college student Jay goes on a date with boyfriend Hugh. Hugh acts like a weirdo and seems paranoid. (laughs) Later, they have sex, after which Hugh chloroforms Jay, ties her to a chair, and tells her that by having sex with her, he has passed on a strange curse. A shape-shifting figure will walk inexorably toward her at all times until it eventually kills her. The only way to get rid of it is to pass it on through sex, like Hugh has just done. But once it kills its current target, it will resume pursuing the previous one, working its way backward. After allowing Jay to see the figure, in the form of a nude woman, walking towards her, Hugh unties her and drives her back to her home. As Jay slowly realizes that Hugh is telling the truth, she tells her sister Kelly and friends Yara, Paul, and Greg about her curse. Together, they search for a way to save her life before it gets to her. So... Um, we've seen this one before we watched it together. Mm-hmm. This would have been nice. You not actually, a... uh, yeah, well, I told you like eight times. You reminded me of that. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. count. Never mind. No points for you. We wouldn't have seen it in 2015. We saw it on 
uh, home video. Yeah, I don't remember when. But some some <laughs> amount of time ago, <laughs> we watched this one together, and then we just watched it the other day together Yesterday. again. Um, so, <clears throat> what are what are your thoughts? Do you have like an initial reaction from the first time, and then now you've sort of reevaluated it, or? Um. I don't really remember what I thought of it last time. I remember last time I watched it, I thought it was like okay. It was like, I. This one's. It's interesting. It's not one of my favorites, though. Okay. Um, so maybe we should start with um, what's your least favorite element of the film? Uh. Well, I feel like it's really uneven Hmm. in a way that it's like, there's a lot of unnecessary shit going on, and there's so much of it that didn't need to be in the movie at all, and it just, it felt kind of disorganized to Hmm. me. That's interesting. Like, could you give an example of something that felt out of place? Yeah, I feel like... The main character, she's got too many romantic interests, and there's stuff that you brought up in a separate plot point, like a point of discussion, but the weird um, inconsistency of, like, technology, and there's so many unnecessary shots of houses, like, driving by houses... That felt like it went on forever. Hmm. And then... I feel like it's longer than it needs to be. I just... I feel like if if it were cut down and some things were taken out completely, it would be more like... It would flow better. Yeah, I did feel watching it this time, uh, I was kind of noticing that it is a bit slow. And I think maybe the sensation of slowness comes in part from a relative lack of conflict in the story Mm -hmm. normally with this kind of story um takes a similar sort of thing a nightmare on elm street there's like a weird monster that's attacking these Mm -hmm. uh young people and they have to figure out it has like these weird rules freddy krueger can only get you when you're asleep but you can like bring part of him out into the real world it's like a similar idea in that it's got this like complex mythology to it and they have to figure out the mythology and they have to figure out how to defeat freddy krueger but the whole time their parents don't believe them right and so they're kind of fighting against their own parents because the parents want them to go to sleep the parents want them to you know be normal teenagers and um there are also there are these murders going on and the kids are getting blamed for it right one of the kids gets blamed for one of the murders that freddy krueger committed because of course the cops aren't going to believe that a nightmare man with scissor hands did it so uh then he gets locked in prison and then it's like oh can we break him out of prison so there's like all these like secondary conflicts going on between the characters that drive the the story forward and like so there's always something happening other than just there's this looming threat of Freddy Krueger. Whereas here, in this story, there really aren't parents. I mean, the parent, they, they exist, but they don't do anything. Um, 
and so and the and there's not really much conflict between the the main characters either so it's not like one person has one plan another has another and they can't decide which one they should do and they're just kind of like hanging out for a lot of the movie wondering what they should be doing mm-hmm. so maybe that's part of what why it feels slow probably i think it's i was really distracted through this whole movie thinking uh where the fuck are the parents like this doesn't make any sense like it it feels like they live alone in that house but they don't so it just it doesn't make sense to me that there's no parent types hanging around when especially like jay you know in the beginning after the whole incident with hugh chloroforming her and everything like the cops bring her home and the cops are involved and like still there's no parents to be found like what well i think we see her mom uh briefly but it's like she's like out of focus or she's i think there's a scene where she's we have a bit of uh dialogue between her and jay and she's off screen where the camera's Mm -hmm. just on jay and we we hear the mom from off screen talking to her i think i i said when you brought that up it reminds me of charlie brown the way that whenever the adults speak to the children and charlie Mm -hmm. brown their voice is just Mm -hmm. because it's trying to put us in the in the subjective space of a kid where you don't really pay attention to the things adults say or either you don't you're not paying attention because they're boring or i mean a lot of that is because they don't make sense to you you know they use big words that you don't understand or their yeah. their their frame of reference is so different from yours and your friends that you're sort of in a different world from them it could be that like you know the the kids are thinking oh well you know our parents aren't going to understand and they're not going to listen to us and we're in this like alone we have to rely on ourselves because they're just not going to they're not going to take this seriously at all right which to me was a strength of the movie because i'm glad that they didn't try to go to the parents and the parents don't listen and the police that really don't believe it because it's like we've seen that before yeah. in a lot of other movies and it's kind of like a predictable thing to happen so this movie's just kind of like no <laughs> let's just not do that uh, okay that makes sense and, and it's not I, I don't necessarily even think it's unbelievable because they're there it's not like the parents don't exist in the world it's just that the film doesn't show them to us like the camera Mm -hmm. tends to not look at them and the parts of the story where they would be involved like the police uh uh, interrogating jay after her whatever you want to call it with hugh and her parents involvement in that whole scenario what you know there must have been conversations there but we just cut to the aftermath or when she gets in the car accident we just cut to her in the hospital obviously there would have been doctors talking to her and all kinds of you know adult involvement there but we we just cut to the aftermath where the kids are left alone again with by themselves also um jay full-on had sex with that guy in her hospital bed that how with uh greg Greg, yeah her neighbor Uh, explain that 
So <laughs> that's the point in the story where she decides to to do what Hugh told her to do, which uh-huh. is you can pass on the curse by having sex with someone else, and that'll make the thing go after that person instead until it kills them, and then it'll come back for you. I sort of feel like that was kind of... So Greg didn't believe her. He never, like, believed in it. I feel like that was kind of a manipulation on his part. Like, oh, have sex with me and I'll take the burden away from you. Ha ha ha. Because he didn't believe it existed. Well, well, by that point in the story, though, he was there when it attacked them on the beach. Yeah, but he still didn't think it was... He didn't believe it... Yeah, he kind of doesn't... He doesn't believe their story about what it is. He's like, there's something going on, but... I don't yeah. know what it is. So And then he got his dumbass murdered. So Yeah. Although I don't know how him believing would have helped him. He would have been more cautious. He would have done he wouldn't have opened the door. Like he's Wait, an he idiot. just stay in his bedroom for the rest of his life? If you hear the like slow knocking on your door, it's the thing. <laughs> Duh. Fuck. Yeah. I know if I hear slow knocking on my door, I never open it. I'm climbing out the window. If I hear slow knocking on my door, I'm burning the house down. So. Well, you just gave me an idea, so. <laughs> okay. Um, Your house. So. I guess I'll talk about what I liked about the movie. <laughs> okay. Since you asked. Uh, well i do like the score Uh Um, i think it's really cool you mentioned that it it reminded you of psycho yes i think that's dead on and psycho i think has probably the the greatest score in any horror film oh yeah and one of the greatest film scores ever it's the most iconic by bernard herman and there's so many horror movie scores including like really famous ones that are very clearly influenced by that mm-hmm. um friday the 13th score is it rips off uh psycho completely uh so does reanimator reanimator is like um lawsuit territory and this one too you know we're thinking specifically of like the shower scene in psycho with the mm-hmm. um but this adds in a lot of like percussion. It's like a very propulsive sort of energy to what you might call like the theme of the the, the monster when it's uh, approaching. Mm-hmm. So there's that. That's really cool. And then um, one thing I really love about this movie, and it connects to the score, is there aren't jump scares, but mm. it's a very frightening film. It's a very scary movie and um i hate jump scares yeah there's not jump scares um but instead there's just sort of like this feeling of dread because you know that it is coming and at all times it's on its way and it's what creeping terror should have been yeah (laughs) um and the 1950s b movie creeping terror um and uh it's because 
we didn't mention this, but it can take on any form that it chooses. Mm-hmm. You never, you don't know exactly what to look for. So any person you see could be it, especially if that person is like walking deliberately towards you, and uh, you just have to keep looking. So in throughout the movie, um, it's shot in this very uh, deliberate. Uh, steady way there's not like handheld shots like the the shots are very locked down and they tend to sort of pan slowly across the environment and uh, we're the audience we're constantly looking over the character's shoulders we're looking for it to appear in the background and we're scrutinizing any kind of background any kind of extras in the background and so I think that's really cool about this movie is like it's a movie that really invites you to constantly be scrutinizing the 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 background you know not just the the things that you know where our eyes are normally drawn to and ignore everything else but really be paying close attention to what's going on with the extra over there in the far left corner of the frame mm-hmm. and um when we you do have like the scare when it does enter the frame um the score has this like amazing uh dissonant sort of i don't know what you call it, like a glissando that goes like right it's like it's like uh i'll i'll, I'll uh, uh splice it into the podcast at this point so people can hear but it's 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 really um it feels like to me you're on a roller coaster and you're at the part where you suddenly like drop or like the tower of terror in in uh what's that place disneyland um (laughs) yes uh when when you just suddenly have the the bottom drop out and you just go like like you just feel like (gasps) it's a very quick descent yeah it's like this quick descent but it's not like a like traditional orchestral sting that you would have for a uh, jump scare where it's just really loud and it just kind of like startles you the way like a car door slamming mm-hmm. startles you it's it's like this slow thing that's quickly builds up momentum and it's like oh god <laughs> um and i just think that's really unique like uh, it's a really cool way of doing it we get it you love the score i i love the score i think it really works really well with the the movie another thing i like is the the concept the, I think it's really original, and uh, it is like I don't know. It's a really interesting thing, and and I like that they don't over-explain it and they don't under-explain it because there's so many horror movies that go one way or the other. So like, um, a movie that kind of over-explains, I would say, would be sinister have you seen that no it's like a ghost demony kind of movie and uh I, I know what you mean and it's very it's 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 pretty good until you get to like whatever two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through the movie and then the main character just like calls this demon expert on skype and they have a conversation and he basically explains oh it's called bagul and it's this demon and it does this this and that and it has these 
things and here's it and he's got like a picture he's like this is what it looks like and this is what and it's like it's like the midichlorians issue in star wars yeah it's like midichlorians it's like no don't don't explain the force don't 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 do that yeah because you just it just becomes absurd mm-hmm. right you you focus our attention on the absurdity that we're watching a movie about people who are plagued by something called the ghoul who is this assyrian you know monster you know it's like like... when you see the monster and it's really underwhelming and you're just like well now nothing is scary about any of this anymore like keep things mysterious yeah to an extent and that makes it way scarier and then there's a lot of like ghost movies where they just never establish any rules for what it can and can't do and that can be annoying too i think it's it's fine except when you want the characters to then be for it to have some rules you know where they're like trying to fight it in some way but then the sort of breaks the rules that seemed to apply or whatever Mm -hmm. here i think like there are rules to it enough that you have a sense of conflict and of the characters being in a predicament that you can sort of think about what would i do and but what is this thing it doesn't even have a name how did it originate what is its motive yeah who knows creepy yeah there's something really creepy well that leads to something i wrote at some point on here (laughs) which is uh um what would you do if this happened to you? Um, I would use witchcraft to banish it back to hell or wherever the fuck it came from. Oh, interesting. But what if it's um, if it's not uh, affected by witchcraft? Um, if that didn't work, then I would... <laughs> Look, I would try real hard, okay? Just for the record. But... If everything else fails, then I guess I'm going to go have sex with someone I really don't like and be like, hey, your problem now. Anyway, bye. Hmm. I would explain it to them and be like, you know, look, uh, this, this is what's up and this is your problem and bye Yeah. You know what you could do is like kind of use it as an excuse to have like a really fun vacation and just go like on a world tour and like get laid on every continent. You know, so it's going to take forever for it to find its way all the way back to you. I guess that's a really fucked up thing to do. Like, I'd at least pick someone, like, I'd pick, like, one of my sociopath ex-boyfriends. You know, someone who, like, deserves to have this problem. You're just picking randos, and that's bad. (coughs) Did I say that? What? Kinda. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I thought, I thought... Uh, my first thought coming out of it was, well, just get like, uh, a, a summer home somewhere on the other side of the world and you just keep going back and forth. yeah, just fly there for six months of the year and then fly back. The thing's going to spend all of its time walking around in between. Is that how it works though? Or would someone... Or would it take the form of someone nearby you? Well, I, I think that would, that would be breaking there? the rules. Oh, I think it is? definitely one of the rules is it cannot teleport. 
right? It can't even walk through walls or anything, right? When it encounters a physical barrier, it has to like punch through it or get someone to open the door for it. It's got to. So, if you fly across the world, it has to. It's just going to start walking. It's going to walk all slow. And just keep walk. It's going to walk through the ocean. Yeah, that's a question, right? What happens if you like move to an <laughs> island? Yeah. Is it gonna uh, what? like is swim it, through it, the ocean? Does it swim really slow? Is it just like float? <laughs> like, I imagine that probably like doggy paddles. Really slow? You can't like swim really slow though. You'll no. It sink. probably does like the one like this. The, the frog swimming. The frog. Well, that doesn't sound very scary. Frog. None of this visual is scary. <laughs> Nothing about this thing swimming slow all the way to Europe. Well, I actually read an interview with David Robert Mitchell in The Guardian where he was asked, well, what if you get on a plane? Oh. Could you get away? And he said, it, you wouldn't get away. If it had to get on the plane with you, then it would. So I think maybe it would... It's maybe smart enough to get on, if not the same plane, a plane, and follow you wherever you went. Still, it has to buy a ticket. Why does it have to buy a ticket? Nobody can see it. Oh, that's true. That's another thing we maybe didn't mention, is that that. it's only visible to people who have the curse. The STD. The, yeah. Sexually transmitted demon. Ah, I was just I was just seeing some unrelated comment on an unrelated thing that was pointing out that the new Star Trek series it has the acronym STD. Oh. Star Trek Dimensions or something, well, whatever it is. Well that's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think someone It's one of those where they didn't someone think about in, it. in their on their PR team should have caught that. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, I don't think my strategy would work in reality. We could sit here all day and come up with just strategies to get away from the demon. Yeah. Um, but let's not do that. Okay. Uh, so I guess one of the, you know, main things everybody talks about this movie is, um, what do you think the, the being in the title uh sort of represents i thought about it and i don't know you don't have any ideas i mean my brain was trying to work out something something like loneliness or Uh you know i was trying to i was working on something like that interesting so like trying to use sex to like fill the void in your soul and then random sex just kind of like ends up making that void worse and then you pass that on to someone else and I don't know. That's what do you great. Think? I, no, Thanks. I think that's great. Okay. <laughs> I really like that. Oh, okay. I hadn't thought of that. It does seem like sex in this movie is a, a sort of unfulfilling experience. Yeah. After Jay and Hugh have sex, she's just kind of like sitting there, dangling out of the car, and she's talking about, you know, when I was a kid, I'm going to mangle this little soliloquy that she has. She says... Um, I used to daydream about being able to get in the car and just drive wherever I wanted to. But mm-hmm. now that I'm, now that we're grown up, it's like, 
where the hell would we go? So she's sort of left with this feeling of directionlessness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then later in the film, uh, near the end, when she has sex with uh, Paul, they kind of turn to each other afterward and they go, do you feel different at all? And they say no. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there it's like there's a reference to the, the curse potentially having been transferred does it feel you know can you tell inside of you that it's been transferred but there's also just the sense that you know young people have that like oh i'm not a virgin anymore like yeah but i feel i don't feel any different you know like you expect like everything is going to be different now but it's it's not there's like a sense of emptiness right so sex doesn't doesn't solve the problems or it doesn't i don't know a lot of times can make you feel worse so yeah and there there is a lot of like imagery around jay's uh encounter with hugh in quotes his real name is jeff we find out later um that is suggestive of rape like when he's chloroforms her he ties her down mm-hmm. and then he he just dumps her unceremoniously in front of her house um, and that's a great shot. I love that shot because the the can the car pulls up, and then he gets out on the far side and uh, takes her out of the back seat and puts her on the ground. But we don't see that until he gets back in and drives away, and she's her body is just left sort of crumpled up on the on the asphalt and uh, in her underwear. And her her friends run out and are like, "What the fuck?" Mm-hmm. So that that whole thing really um, is that's uh, textbook rapey, I would say. It's very rapey. Even though what happened wasn't a she he didn't actually rape her. Like right. all the weird violent stuff happens after. But there is stuff that happens that she did not consent to. So true. Yeah. It is very rapey. Mm-hmm. He like tight strapped her down in the chair. And that was not good. Yeah, it was. Um, but the you know what's the the weird thing though is like that's actually like the nice part. <laughs> if he had just you know played out the rest of the date like a good boyfriend and dropped her off at home, that would have been the mean thing to do because then he's left her with the curse without Explaining. any way of defending herself against it. Whereas what he did, he needed to do so that she would see the thing and yeah, actually believe. Yes. What a nice guy. Not that I'm out here <laughs> defending Jeff slash Hugh. Uh, I, you know, the, the choice to pass it on to her obviously was a, a dick move. Yeah. And like I said when we were watching it, I said, why didn't he just, like, choose a random girl, like, on Tinder that's, like, just looking to hook up? Like, why did he? That was their second date. Why yeah. did he beat around the bush so long? Like, yeah, he invested in this, this a lot. Was, He's invested that, a lot of time in this. That guy sucks. <laughs> He's um, got a personality <clears throat> de- defect. There's something wrong with him. He's, second date. On the second date, that's like second base is passing your demon to somebody. And I don't. E- I don't even think it's like they're. It's probably they've been dating for a while, right? Because she's having a conversation is, with her sister. Yeah. Where she's saying, 
you know, oh, we've been going out, and he, I know he like, wants I to like have sex, him. but I haven't had sex with him. The sister said, I like him. Okay, so she's met him. So she's met him. him. Like, yeah. What's wrong? This guy sucks. He's crazy. Well, and it's 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 just odd from a self-preservation standpoint, because he's looking over his shoulder at this monster chasing him all yeah. the time. You'd think that he would be in a hurry. Uh-huh. Exactly. So there's some mm, inconsistencies there. <clears throat> Yeah, you would th- you would think that you would want to do it to somebody that you hate. You do it to someone you hate. You do it to someone random. You'd be living in fear twenty four seven that this well, thing is. Well, he is. We see the house that he's been living. in. He doesn't in. have time to go to the movies. Yeah, to the old. And then he's like, "Oh no, organist. it's here. Let's drive a little bit away and go to this diner." Like. What? Well, we can imagine the diners on the other side of town, maybe. That's still not far away enough. And, I, you know, from his perspective, he should be trying to have sex with her, like, constantly. <laughs> yeah. Well, she says she could tell that he wants to, so maybe he has tried. I, yeah. But he's a, he's a smooth operator. Maybe... He's dating multiple girls and whoever gives it up first. Ah, I did not think of that. It just occurred in my brain right now. So maybe yeah. she's just one of a few that he had. He did know, give her a false name. A so maybe he uses a yeah. different name for every girl. And can we talk about the fact that he picked Hugh as his fake name? Like, what? Why would you pick such a strange douchey name? Like, wow. like a European douche name hugh grant exactly mm. that's exactly it hugh laurie's pretty cool he is pretty cool he did play a douche on house <laughs> house was a douche um oh and he was one of the bad guys in 101 dalmatians he was like hugh laurie jasper was? of jasper and horace in the cartoon? No, in the live action one. Oh, the live action? Okay, I haven't seen that. Definitely a dick. You haven't seen that? No, I saw the cartoon. Oh. When well, I was a kid. It's a masterpiece. I'm <laughs> sure. Um, Talk about a horror movie, though. 101 Dalmatians? Hmm. What? There's a lady who wants to skin puppies yeah. to make coats out of them. I've never heard a more horrifying plot in my life. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of animated films that messed me up as a kid more so than texas chainsaw massacre this woman wanted to make a coat out of skinned puppies yeah the one that did it for me was the little mermaid you you want to share some more information about that the part where sebastian the crab is in the uh kitchen (laughs) where the cook is like uh, trying yeah. to, he's trying to catch no, him. No, that's bad. There's that's like this big really fat bad. cook who has a, like a huge butcher knife <laughs> and he's like uh, cutting the heads off of fish uh-huh. and he's trying to catch Sebastian and like boil him in a pot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that doesn't sound that bad no, when, it's you, terrible. when you say it I because think... we've, we've all seen fish with their heads cut off and stuff. Yeah, but those are he probably. But knew those them. are those are like fish in our world where they're like these stupid little things that swim around. But in the Little Mermaid, fish are like people. They sing and they dance. Sing. 
And yeah, it's like there are they're the friends of okay. the characters, and then here they are with their fucking heads getting chopped yeah, off terrible. with a butcher knife. That was really bad. But then there's a part where he like Sebastian like sees a bunch of dead crabs. Mm-hmm. Like that's dark. Yeah. It is. It's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It really is. Like when they go into the place where like all those human bones are being made into furniture and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, stay tuned for our Disney horror series. Hmm. That shit's fucked up. Yeah. The other one that messed me up as a kid was, uh, this was more of an existential one, so I guess a little more like it follows, is um, The Brave Little Toaster. Did you see that? The Brave Little Toaster is psychotic it's just a nightmare it's a it's just a nightmare from start to finish yeah the clown with the fork absolutely the fuck not yeah that wasn't even the part that messed me up are you talking about the blanket uh no no okay the radios and the lamps and and stuff coming to life and doing that scary dance and the song and dance no oh my god what <laughs> there's so many there's so disturbing many. things there's so many the really disturbing part to me was when the crushing when yeah when they're in the junkyard and there's like the, all the uh junked cars are on the conveyor belt going into the uh crusher machine yeah and they sing a song about basically how life is meaningless and <laughs> they they kind of want to want it to end <laughs> because they've just been sitting in this junkyard for decades oh now my God. and they're just ready for to be annihilated oh, no. <laughs> and it's like a samuel beckett play but oh. with uh singing cars oh my god i feel like i shouldn't ever watch that movie again but now i feel like i want to because i can't even believe that it it's exists. pretty great yeah terrible so speaking of existentialism, mm-hmm. um, there are some cool allusions in this movie. Uh huh. So uh, early on, and then at the very end, Yara is reading a novel called *The Idiot* by Dostoevsky. Uh-huh. Uh huh. She reads some passages from it out loud and uh jay goes to class in her college she goes to english class and the teacher is reading the poem by t.s Eliot, the love song of j alfred prufrock mm-hmm. um and then there's some other filmic illusions we see our characters watching some movies on tv they're watching yeah. these like hilarious b movies from the 1950s early on they're watching a movie called killers from space and then a little later, they're watching uh, The Giant Claw, which the, both of those movies are, are pretty amazing. Um, I, I found out as I was doing some research, you can actually watch the entirety of Killers from Space on Wikipedia. The Wikipedia page just has the movie as a what? video file embedded on there. Holy shit. So it's, it must be in the public domain. Mm. And uh, in Killers from Space, which is uh, from the 50s, uh, Aliens start abducting people Mm -hmm. and i guess killing them i don't know and they have uh they have like these gigantic googly eyes like they've just like taken like imagine like the the googly eyes you can get at uh tall mouse or whatever tall mouse and uh, does that still exist no (laughs) that's a uh, hobby store 
and uh, imagine those like giant ones and just gluing them onto somebody's uh-huh. face. <laughs> it looks hilarious. <laughs> okay. Um, and that's the aliens in that. Um, and then the other movie is The Giant Claw, mm-hmm. which uh, Cinemassacre, the website, does a series uh, every year called uh, Monster Madness where they review horror movies and they have a great review of uh of the giant claw which is a another 50s b movie about a giant prehistoric bird that i don't know where it comes from but it starts attacking the world and the characters have to try to stop it Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's the it's the funniest thing in the world um because uh most of the movie is is it's very self-serious the acting is very serious and they treat it like you know like a 50s sci-fi thriller and uh the whole the whole shoot the actors had no idea what the monster was gonna look like so when they're reacting in terror and shock they're just looking out the window you know oh my god there it is it's the size of a battleship they say that like a lot um, they say that more than once in the film. Yeah, they keep describing it as being bigger than a battleship, um, and uh, but they're just you know looking off, off camera, and they're and then they put in the shots with the monster afterward. But they like ran out of budget, and so they had to hire this Mexican uh, company to make the monster, and it essentially looks like a, kind of like a piñata. It, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's hilarious looking. Um, I can I could just bring it up here if if the listeners at home wanna wanna Google this, uh, it's worth it. Um, the giant claw. This is what? What? <laughs> this what it looks like. It's got like this uh, oh little. My. It's got like hair on its head. That's like little things of hair. Like he's kind of balding. Yeah, it looks like a third grader's art project. Yeah, it is. <laughs> very silly oh yeah you know, these no. big eyeballs what and it looks um, like something jim henson would come up with right it yeah it looks like something on sesame street really um and uh so the actors went to the premiere of the film uh-huh. not ha- still not having seen it oh, and no. so then when the monster appeared the whole audience erupted in laughter oh, no. and the one of the main actors walked out of the <gasps> screening because oh. <laughs> he was so embarrassed to How have been in the movie sad um so yeah that's the second uh movie that they're watching on the tv mm-hmm. uh that's the one with the theremin music yeah okay and um then the other sort of filmic reference in the movie is uh the movie that jay and hugh go to see on their date is a 1960s rom-com charade which starred Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. I've seen that one. Oh, you've seen it? I don't like it very much. Oh. Uh, it's not that great. Okay, so three not-so-great movies. Yeah. Well, Charade is supposed to be a good... Like, people like it, but I... It did nothing for me. Hmm. And I'm a big Cary Grant fan. So I don't... Not their best work. So, what do you make of all these... Sort of references. The references? Yeah. Oh, I don't. I don't know. You tell me. You're the English major. Well, yeah. I guess the the literary references are easier for me to deal with. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the love song of Geoffrey Prufrock is actually one of my favorite I poems. I know this. So maybe this is part of why this is one of you know a movie that I like a lot. I can't imagine what this movie and that poem have in common. Oh, I can. I'm sure you can. So they actually, uh, the teacher reads yes. my favorite part of oh. this poem, uh, which uh, I can read for the listeners at home. Mm-hmm. Though I have seen my head grown slightly bald, brought in upon a platter, I'm no prophet, and here's no great matter. I've seen the moment of my greatness flicker. And I have seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And in short, I was afraid. Um, they read more of it in the, in the movie, but that part is the part I think that connects to the, the theme of the film. Okay. Um, so that's a reference to John the Baptist, who had his head brought in upon a platter after Salome asked for that, for her one wish after she did a dance before Herod the Great in the bible um he was the prophet so the speaker in the poem is comparing himself to john the baptist as a figure of mortality of of you know death but at the same time he's disclaiming the comparison saying well i'm no prophet my life is not a big deal like his was and that's something that happens over and over in this poem where the the poet keeps reaching for these you know allusions to great men he refers to hamlet and he says well if i was in hamlet i wouldn't be the prince i would be some officious fool some extra or something and so he is trying to find a way to describe the existential angst that he feels but he doesn't really feel like it's appropriate to use these grandiloquent comparisons and um because he's so small and um so this connects to what we were talking about with what does the the monster represent Mm -hmm. and i think uh what it represents to me for the most part is is death just the inevitability of death right Mm -hmm. it's coming for you all the time and uh it won't ever stop coming for you until it gets to you right because inevitably you're gonna die yeah and it's just a matter of putting one foot in front of the other staying in front of it you know because if you think about it like that's what we are all doing all the time right that's what all the business of our life is about. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do, especially in the modern world where it's so easy to just survive, is to do with other things, living comfortably and pursuing various goals. But at the end of the day, like if you wanted to just sit in a chair and not do anything, you couldn't after a while. You would have to find some food and drink and poop and you know the stuff that lets you keep living um even moment to moment you have to breathe in and breathe out and so it's kind of like how she has to just keep moving to stay ahead of this thing Mm -hmm. 
and and she contracts this through sex so it's like sex is this rite of passage that uh makes you an adult i guess and all the characters are at this stage of their life where they're going into college they've graduated high school they've turned 18 they've sort of crossed these boundaries that our culture puts in between childhood and adulthood and it's at this point that they encounter the reality of the fact that like you know once you're finished growing up what's left declining and ultimately dying Mm -hmm. so um yeah so i think that's what you know that's what the poem is kind of about it's about reckoning with the fact that um i'm gonna die eventually so what the hell am i supposed to be doing with my life in the meantime and uh and uh i think the passages from the idiot the novel by dostoevsky are also about mortality right like she's reading that passage at the end and it's like you know it's talking about knowing that you're you're going to die in an hour then in 10 minutes then instantly that you're going to die your soul will be removed from your body and you will no longer be a person and it's the certainty of this that makes it so terrible Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think those those illusions make a lot of sense with my reading of the the creature um also it makes me think of early on in the film when Jay and Hugh are on their date and they're playing that game of like pick someone you pick someone in the room you want to trade places with Mm -hmm. and he picks the little boy right and she's like why and he says because he has his whole life ahead of him Mm -hmm. so that ties into your theory I guess yeah yeah I think that I like I love that little game that they play Um, because yeah I think it sets up that theme and and she says to him like come on you know you're you're 21 Mm -hmm. are you really worried about dying but of course he's he's got this thing that's gonna kill him so he's got it on his brain Mm -hmm. but i think even more generally than that like even if he wasn't cursed uh, a lot of young people do think a lot about death and consider their own mortality i know i did and um i maybe i'm just morbid no i'm a scorpio it's all i ever think about yeah but this idea that it's like only something for old people to worry about no i think it's dumb like i saw this uh you remember when heath ledger died yes um i saw a news thing that like pissed me off in a way that stuck in my brain mm-hmm. where they were talking about him on the news and um i guess the the Thing that had come out was that he had been talking about how he was thinking about his death like he had said something about if i die you know what he wanted to be done with his affairs or his mm-hmm. he, he had a, a, a child i think yeah so the, the the news person or one of the talking heads on the on the tv said something in response like you know that's that's pretty weird you know, like, they, it seemed like they were kind of judging him, you know, like, well, he was only 30, you know, what was, he must have had something weird going on with him. And it's like, I felt like, well, he died. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I guess you're the dumb one, yeah. you know, like, he should have been thinking about that, because 
you know, that happened. Uh-huh. So you can die at 30 or 20 or whatever, and it's eventually going to happen, so you might as well think about it. Totally. <clears throat> but yeah, with the with the the movies that are in the in in the film on the TV, these like 1950s sci-fi things, I don't know quite what to make about make of those. I think it connects to what we're talking about how the film has all these elements from different time periods. So these are like 50s B movies that probably wouldn't be on TV in the modern age. Mm-hmm. Um and they're watching them on like this old TV set that has like the bunny ears. Yeah. And yeah, she had an old TV set in her room too. Yeah, and meanwhile, Yara is reading Dostoevsky on a clamshell-shaped e-reader that mm-hmm. doesn't exist in our time period. Yeah, or... I'm furious about it. And that annoyed you? It annoyed me a lot. The cars, there's some modern cars in the film, but a lot of the cars are yeah. like vintage classic mm-hmm. cars. There's just the the we talked about the the theater that they go see the movie. They go and see this movie from the 1960s. <laughs> In a theater that's like super old timey, there's like an actual organist mm-hmm. playing music before the show. So I think that was definitely a an intentional choice by the director to include elements from all these different time periods to sort of make the movie take place in an indeterminate time. One interpretation of that is that it's it's to do with the timelessness of the theme of mortality or of sex and love or whatever um and adolescence all this stuff i had a thought that maybe it could have to do with the timeliness of the film so here's kenny's hot take okay in contemporary life Mm -hmm. we we live in a world in which stuff from different time periods is all accessible because of the internet and modern digital media and there's like all these hipsters that still listen to records on vinyl and listen to cassette tapes and vhs and you know have old tube tvs hooked up with their original nes and stuff like all of this older media that we think about as obsolete, it still exists and people are still interested in it. And so it's like, and a lot of our our quote unquote modern culture is constantly returning to the previous decades. Like how many movies that come out now are homages or flat out reboots or remakes of things that came out decades ago? Pretty much everything. So maybe there's something going on with that. Like it's exaggerating that. And so maybe it's, it's uh, putting us more in the mindset of a teenager growing up in the modern world where there's just this like uh, cacophony. There's just like this bizarre conglomeration of disparate cultural elements from many different time periods kind of floating around in the the ether and it's all there and you have to try to make some sense of it so they're just kind of sitting in front of the tv watching this like shitty uh, 50s b movie and they're not even like laughing at it or anything you know like they're just kind of like watching it and it's just background noise and it's like 
this is just one more crazy thing in our culture that that you have to fit into your brain space as a young person Mm -hmm. i don't know okay sounds good to me i don't know i guess i've been thinking lately about like just how much random shit is packed into my brain like Mm -hmm. weird factoids about cary grant and me too you know every every different actor and uh, cultural figure and event and all this stuff from like thousands of years of history that i happen to have picked up at some point you know from really trivial things to really important stuff it's like i was just imagining like starting over life kind of like he was imagining going back to being a little kid Mm -hmm. and having to build that up from scratch it's just like wow exhausting there's a lot yeah it's like it would take a long time to learn all this stuff yeah and i I guess it has Mm because i'm an old man Mm -hmm. and now i'm thinking about death again (laughs) okay well you brought it back around yeah so i had another thought about what it could represent okay and these are these are my two things right so i think death on the one hand but on the other hand how does that explain the specific form that it takes because it could have just been like a you know a shadow that comes towards you or something you know like more vague if they wanted to make it super obvious it could be like the grim reaper with the scythe um but instead it it shapeshifts it looks like different people and um i got really interested this time watching it in like all the different shapes that it takes mm-hmm. and if there could be some like significance to them mm-hmm. so i tried to make a list okay um i have a list here okay <clears throat> so the first time we see it we actually don't see it right it's described yeah hugh says do you see that woman in a yellow dress and we don't see it jay doesn't see it but that must be it then when he shows it to jay it's a naked woman i don't think we see this woman at another point in the film but i i i, I i'm willing to be proved wrong about any of these assertions i'm going to make but i don't think this is an, another character in the movie but who knows it could be his mom i don't know then uh jay is followed by it in her school in the form of an elderly woman in a hospital gown mm-hmm. uh, then when it uh, breaks her window and goes into her house it's uh, a peeing bloodied half-dressed girl she's got like her arm behind her back in a weird way too either that or she's like not got an arm like she's missing it i don't know anyway um she's definitely peeing <laughs> they, they they cut they have like several shots where they're really emphasizing that and, she's and her just, boob was out and her yeah she's yeah she's kind of like very disheveled mm-hmm. in her dress um then when it goes into jay's bedroom upstairs it's a, a, a very tall man mm-hmm. um like maybe seven foot something yeah it was, that was the scariest one to me that's yeah that that's pretty scary fucked up that's a great um sequence too yeah it is because really they good. kind of this fake you really out several scary. times right yeah. there's the knocking on the door first uh-huh. and then it's uh, uh her sister kelly uh-huh. and then they hear like a more 
ominous knock. It's more of like a slow knock, mm-hmm. right? And or no, it's not even a knock. It's just the doorknob starts trying to be opened. You know, they like can hear the and then they're like, "Who is it?" And and uh, it's Yara. But Yara says in like a monotone way, "It's me, Yara." It's really that she's sleepy because she's been woken up. But mm-hmm. it's like, is it pretending to be Yara? You know. And so we're very worked up to when they open, and, and Jay's saying, don't open the door, but then she opens the door, and oh, it is just Yara. But then the mm-hmm. thing comes from behind. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah, it was really scary. <laughs> That's so great. Um, so, and then in the on the beach, it does take the form of Yara, mm-hmm. uh, wearing a different outfit from the one that she's wearing, and she's mm-hmm. in the same scene. Um... And then in the shed, it busts a hole through the door, and then it crawls through as a blonde boy, maybe a eight-year-old boy or something. But a really creepy zombie-looking boy. Yeah, he's got like... He uh, looks like the kid from The Grudge. Yeah, yeah, he's got like makeup that, that kind of uh, blackens like his the, eyes. like the I Like Turtles. Yeah, so the kid has like creepy makeup, and so does the, the tall guy. He's got oh. like his eyes are kind of darkened. Oof. Um, and... Then, as Jay is driving away, we see it following, mm-hmm. out of coming out of the house. It's a girl wearing a white dress. Okay. And I'm not sure if it's Kelly. It looks like it could be Kelly, but I'm really not sure. So, leave a comment on this web zone <laughs> if you think that it's Kelly, or if you know whether it is. Because I'm, I'm interested to know. Then... Once she's passed it on to Greg, she then sees it walk up to Greg's house in the form of a guy wearing long johns. You remember that? Yeah, I do. Is that guy Greg? No. No? Okay. It's just a guy. We don't see that guy elsewhere. I thought it was like an old man. No, no. It's like a you know a guy in his 20s. Oh, really? Uh-huh wasn't wearing my glasses so. yeah see this is this is a problem because <laughs> uh, this is really not a great movie to watch when you can't Look. see what's happening on the screen because we, we were talking about where you have to kind of be looking for in the background and stuff so if you can't see it it's not ideal oops um anyway there's that guy then it takes the form of greg's mom yeah. Uh, you want to explain what happened there? Well, <laughs> it fucks him to death, <laughs> basically. He got raped to death by his own mother. Yeah, and that's... Kind of. That's like the one time we actually see it kill somebody. So... It's not I, a good way to go. Yeah, I guess that's what it does. Um, Yeesh. And we'll we'll get there. Um, then it takes the form of a naked old man standing on the roof yeah, of Jay's house. Too. I hated that one. And then in the final scene, when we see it, it uh, takes the form of Jay and Kelly's dad when it attacks them in the indoor pool. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How did I miss that? Because you could not see <laughs> what was happening on the screen because you didn't have your glasses. But um, it's 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 pretty missable, actually. I think a lot of people missed that oh, last really? one because um, 
Did they say something about it? Well, Kelly asks, who is it? What does it look like? And oh. Jay says, I don't want to say. And oh. then after that scene, we get a scene in Jay's house and we get a close up of the picture of the family on the mantelpiece. And there's mm. the dad. Okay. It's the same guy. Got it. So, okay, that was a long, probably overly long explanation of all the different shapes that the thing takes. So, given that, what what are some common themes there? Boobs. Definitely. <laughs> Stages of undress. Okay. People who are in their underwear or naked. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Also... There's a sense of not taking care of yourself, like um, that girl who's like peeing herself, mm-hmm. and the old woman in the uh, hospital gown. Hospital gown. Yeah, there's sort of connotations of like sickness mm-hmm. with the makeup too. They kind of look like they're dead or something. Yeah. So, what it makes me think of is like taboos. Like, it doesn't respect cultural taboos, or it crosses those boundaries. Like, you're not supposed to walk around naked. You're not supposed to pee on the ground. (laughs) You're not supposed to have have sex with your son. (laughs) Yeah. Not supposed to stand naked on a roof. Yeah, generally. That makes me think that it is almost like an id sort of thing. Okay. Okay. Which id in Latin kind of means it. So it's a nice fit where it's like repressed urges or desires. And so maybe there's a sense that once you cross that that boundary into adulthood, there's the danger of these, you know, urges that have been controlled by your parents and by society sort of becoming uncontrolled and not having to control them yourself and how do you do that kind of thing that's another thought that i had that makes sense sounds good to me the latin reminds me do you know how to say it follows in latin no nor does probably anyone listening to this if you're listening to this (laughs) think about it for a second because you might you might be able to figure it out it's sequitur. Cool. Because people have probably heard the phrase non sequitur. That mm-hmm. means it doesn't follow. So just take away the non. It means it follows. Isn't that neat? It's so neat, Kenny. So if this movie was ever, you know, uh, released in a Latin speaking country, they would it would be titled sequitur. What, what do we make of the the water motif there's a lot of water in this movie we open with the girl running away to the beach mm-hmm. and that's where she gets killed then we cut to jay in the swimming pool mm-hmm. in her backyard she's got kind of like the one that you used to have yeah. like the floaty pool. it's like a above ground pool but it's like a non-permanent pool right and then there's just so many scenes that take place either on the beach or in a pool 
and then of course in the final confrontation it takes place in the indoor pool mm-hmm. Jay in particular always seems to be in the water she likes to swim so what's going on with that I'm not sure um, maybe it's well water often has ties to a, a mother hmm. so maybe it's like comforting to her it's like her safe place it's it's like being in the womb it's like hmm. you know that's an interesting idea like the it's like being in the womb mm-hmm. water can also be symbolic of like cleansing like I was baptism say that too yeah so but what's interesting is like she's continually having to return to the water so uh you know baptism is another like rite of passage kind of thing so it's not something you're supposed to like typically do over and over like people don't i mean sometimes people do get baptized multiple times because it's like a kind of like renewing your marriage vows kind of thing um but that's not the idea of baptism. It's supposed to be like a transition from one part of your life to the, you know, the next part of your life. You're like being reborn, which is another. It's like the womb thing again, right? You're supposed to be like born again out mm-hmm. of the water. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's kind of interesting that she has to like continually be immersed in water over the course of the movie. It's kind of like with this curse, like you're con- condemned to continually, you know, repeat this action of having sex with somebody in order to pass it on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe it's just that. It's, like, connecting to this theme of, like, the way that adulthood can feel like just turning a hamster wheel and, and like, not being able to find the meaning in your life. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think that's a neat little reading that we we did there. Totally. So, yeah, that was It Follows. Um, you may be able to tell I'm a fan not so much, Heather. That's okay. Yeah, if you have some... I don't hate it. Yeah. It's not like I'm mad at you for making me watch it. Yeah, like with some other movies we've seen. <laughs> it's been a long time since I was angry at you for making me watch something. I think you you know... You know what is like a... Beyond the complete pale. Complete off-limits... So for next time, we're going to be watching Cannibal Holocaust. (laughs) That's a direct joke because I have a a hard limit on cannibalism. Hmm. Yeah, that I think that would that movie would cross a lot of boundaries for you. (laughs) But um, yeah, let's let's skip that one. Mm. There are definitely some that I I'm not gonna. That's good. I'm not gonna have us watch. Martyrs is another one. I don't know that like we don't need to talk about it. Yeah. We're not going to watch Martyrs, so people at home, if you want to watch Martyrs (laughs) uh, and you're waiting for us to do a podcast on it, go ahead and watch it, uh, and uh, God help you, Um, (coughs) because we're never going to do it. Okay. Uh, But what we are going to do is Cat People Mm -hmm. from 1942. That's right. So don't watch the one from the 80s, the John Carpenter remake. No, no, no. Watch the (laughs) black and white version. 
So, see you then. Bye.